Go with me over to First uh, Peter chapter one. Everybody declare it boldly. I am the well. The anointing is in me. Say it like this. I am anointed. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. I want to... uh, you know, share some things that will just uh, build you up and encourage you. Uh, I hear the, the Spirit of the Lord saying tonight, we're at a tipping point. Um, when, it, when it comes to believing God for what we're supposed to be doing, what God has called us to do, say, I believe I receive. And, um, you know, if you're not careful, you just kind of get into a, a habit and a rut of thinking that this is the way things are, this is the norm. When the Spirit of God begins to point out that we're at a tipping point, our expectations should go way up. Matthew 6.33 tells us, but seek ye what? First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His ways of doing and being right, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Um, the reality is that uh, that's a blood-bought promise for you and for me. That if we do the first part, He's going to do what? The second part. So not just in terms of natural things, but in terms of spiritual things. And all these things will be added unto you as well. If we will truly seek the Lord, amen, if we will truly seek Him first, then we're going to see everything on the other side of that tipping point we've been believing God for. Amen. Uh, His hand is on your life. Say, His hand is on my life. His hand is on my life. Hallelujah. And... uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, looking at uh, just a simple verse here. And going back to verse 13, we find, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. For what? To get involved, to jump in there in this redemptive mission. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Didn't we just sing about that? As obedient children, say obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So that's always a possibility, isn't it? For someone to have knowledge and slip back into a lifestyle when they were ignorant, ignorant of the things of God, ignorant of redemption, ignorant of God's saving grace. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. But just as the the one who called you is holy, look at the high standard there. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do. Uh, Every great move of God in recent memory, certainly contemporary times and going way back, uh, they all have several things in common. They're founded in prayer. They're founded in repentance. They're founded in holiness. But one of the things that broke up those meetings were issues that contradict God's holiness. Things that uh, should not have happened. People getting into strife. People getting into stuff they shouldn't have getting into. How many understand that God's doing the work and if a human being gets into pride, it'll shut down. He's not going to share his glory with anybody. 
Uh, so what I want you to think about in, in terms of this message and this teaching is kind of a preemptive strike against that. And that you, you search your hearts. And you make sure that you're seeking him first and, and his righteousness and all these other things, these supernatural things that he wants to do are added unto us. But with an attitude that we understand and we're not ashamed of, nor do we shrink back from the concept of holiness. Amen. Is it still appropriate for the church to be called to holiness? It should be, but the day that we're living in, it's anathema to many people. Um, they don't want to hear anything about that, and yet you're going to find out. But if you're going to move like God wants you to move, you're going to have to deal with these issues. And I'm just talking about what somebody else is doing. I'm asking that, that everyone would be sensitive to what the Spirit of God might be saying to them. Because I assure you that uh, if there's an area that needs uh, some work, uh, our first instinct can't be, but what about them? Yes, I've had this going on, but, but about, what about that person, Lord, that obviously has something more blatant than me? You know, God didn't care how blatant it is to people. He searches the heart. So we're impressed. Notice, we're impressed by the grandeur of people on the outside, by the appearance, just like when the prophet, even though he was a great prophet of God, he still directed himself towards the sons of Jesse that were prominent in stature and older and seemed to be better looking, whatever the case may be, that's just the way people are. And they do the same thing when it comes to you know, something in somebody's life. They look upon the appearance. If somebody can appear to be holy, how do you understand? They can be full of dead men bones on the outside. So we don't look at uh, the outside in terms of grandeur, but we don't look at the outside in terms of judging a thing called holiness because it starts with the heart. Amen. And God's just not going to entrust this kind of move of God to people who don't take holiness seriously. And that's why a lot of people don't see this kind of move of God in their lives or sustain because it's a high price to pay. Amen. Um, thank you for your enthusiasm over that revelation tonight. If you understood what it meant and the consequences of being that way, you'd be jumping up and down right now in your seats. Amen. Saying, speed it up, Lord. Increase it. Um, we're beyond the point where it's a matter of your personal salvation. Aren't you glad that he's the perfect one, not you? But that said, in, in wanting to flow in the things that we flow in, there's got to be a consciousness of and pursuit of holiness. Not a few people, not one or two people, but everybody on the same page. That's going to mean different things to different people because you're dealing with different things. Uh, for some of you, it could be a, a practice. For some of you, it could be a habit. For some of you, it could be an attitude. For some of you, it could be that you're mouthy, moving right along. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and we're not going to call each other out. This is a, this is a job for the Holy Ghost. You know, there's a job for Superman, but there's a job for the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and this is the job that only he can do. Uh, let me help uh, define sanctification for you, because that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the concept of holiness. It's very simply a process. Say that with me, it's a process. So neither uh, have you arrived, but you're further down the road than you were. Why do I say that? Because the process begins at salvation. Now, if you were saved 45 years ago, you should have made some progress. 
If you were saved six months ago, you should have made some process, you know, some progress in this process. It's the process of being separated from sin. Watch this. Separated from sin and separated unto God for his purpose. Uh, so it's a process. Say it with me, it's a process. So we're being separated from sin and separated unto God for his purpose. And how many know he has great things in store for you? He has a purpose for you. But to understand these go together. It's not I have a purpose for you and I don't care about you separating from sin. I have a purpose for you and I need you separated from sin. Sanctified, holy. Um, you know, all was fine and dandy when, uh, you know, that Babylonian king thought he'd throw a party and mess around with the holy vessels. And they found out that they were what? They were sanctified or separated. You just don't do anything you want to do with a sanctified vessel. Well, you say, well, I'm not a cup. No, you're bigger than a cup. You're better than a cup. You are a temple of the Holy Ghost. You are a vessel of the anointing of God. I promise you there is nothing ever as holy in one of those cups, nor will there ever be anything as holy as what's holy on the inside of you right now. But if there's a disconnect between the holiness of the anointing, which is pure, 100% high-octane holiness, and the vessel, it's going to be restricted. And so we talk about this, you know, uh, what happens when the well is contaminated? And what do we need to do to decontaminate that well? It's different things for different people. So uh, he is wanting to... Uh, you know, to have you meditate on these things and deal with these things. Now, how many of you will, you know, ask the Holy Spirit if there's something in your life that needs to go? Uh, in other words, in Psalm 139, the Bible tells us, search me, what? Oh, God, is that okay if he does that? You know, that's not condemnation. You know, that's not, you know, somehow I'm, I'm less than everybody else. That's the heart of someone that's pure that wants to be right with God, not based on what people think. In other words, God, what's your opinion of me? Now, the first thing you're going to hear is he's going to tell you he loves you and he's pleased with you. But he's also going to say these things that you're involved in, you have no business being involved in. Or your divided heart or the attitude or things that you just kind of said aren't that big of a deal. You know, I'm going to heaven, everything's just fine. Now, he's interested in bringing you to a position so that anointing can flow through you unhindered. Nonstop. Amen. The burden removing, yoke destroying, Power of God. Say it with me. The burden removing, yoke destroying, power of God. And so that's what that is, uh, is comprised of. Now go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Pray this out loud. Say, Holy Spirit, decontaminate my well in Jesus' name. Did you mean that? 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And um, I want to just start at uh, verse 19. When you found us, I found it. Let's all put our eyes on this. It's a, it's a huge statement he's making to his spiritual son. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. We're talking about foundational truth here. Say it with me, foundational truth. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. Think about it. Not what man says, not what a preacher says, but what God himself has established. 
inscribed, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. And those that are his, uh, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. What must I do? They must turn away from wickedness. Who does that? Everyone that calls his name, everyone that confesses his name, everyone that claims to be one of his. This is foundational. Amen. Uh, This is Christianity 101. There are other things that are foundational to mention in Hebrews, like baptisms, amen, repentance from dead works, that kind of thing. The laying on of hands, for example. These things are all examples of things that are foundational for you and for me. Uh, We should have got them in kindergarten. Have a better amen. But how do you know the foundational things never disappear? Their importance never disappears, and we should never get away from them completely. We should revisit them. We should be reminded of those. And so everyone must turn away from what? Wickedness. And all wicked is, it's just a root word that tells us twisted, inconsistent with the truth of God. To be, to be wicked is to do something that's not conforming with the revelation of God's nature, of his holiness. And you should know that God is merciful, God is love, God is kind. God is just. God is also holy. And so anything that's going to get to heaven is going to be what? Holy. Now, how many like to see more heaven on earth? Yes. If you want to see more heaven on earth, then there has to be more holiness on earth. And we're not talking about holy buildings or holy foundations in terms of structures. We're talking about holy people. And Paul uh, teaches this to his spiritual son. He says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself, you should underline that, highlight that. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, a vessel unto honor, made holy, look at this, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So the flow of that anointing is directly tied to the condition of the vessel. And who decides the condition of the vessel? The possessor of the vessel. So this idea that God would just arbitrarily pick one and use them, or arbitrarily pick another and use them, it's not scriptural. God came down one day and he thought, well, I'll just pick a Or Roberts and he'll be my special servant, or Smith Wigglesworth will be my special ser- you know, servant, or you know, any simple McPherson will be my, my special servant, or Benny Hinn will be a special servant of mine uh, with a special dispensation. No, I can tell you this, one of the things that these guys got a hold of was the understanding of the vessel and honor. Few people are willing to pay that price. Turn to somebody and say, I am willing. When you think about uh, supernatural events and souls and spirit baptisms and healings and wonders and signs hinging not on God's will but on our decision to be a vessel unto honor, what's well, a lot easier to get motivated, isn't it? To say, speak to me. Yes. Amen. Show me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Same language. Amen. Twisted, wrong, not consistent with, with Scripture. So he defines some of this, particularly in the context of who he's talking to, but how many know the scripture still speaks to us today? Flee the evil desires of youth. Flee. 
Kind of think of Joseph, right? When you hear that? When someone tries to hit on you and compromise you, flee. When someone tries to suggest something to you that's ungodly, what do you do? You don't debate it. You don't have a discussion. What do you do? You flee. You don't have to try to even win them to your side. You just what? You flee because you're working on something. You're protecting something. Something big on the inside of you is, is happening. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. So flee one thing and then pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments or strife, because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those opposed to him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to the, a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape uh, from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Apparently, one of the holiness issues that Paul was trying to get Timothy to deal with was a thing called strife. You will never be anointed and walk in strife at the same time. You just forget about it. You can have your strife, you can have your bitterness, you can have your unforgiveness, you can have whatever's happened to you and what they say about you. You know what the best defense is what they said about you? is prove them wrong by being what God says about you and living out what God declared over your life. That's the best way to handle that kind of thing. So you can see that he talked about evil, evil you know, desires and lusts and whatnot, but also this concept of people being snared by the devil to do his will. See, one of the problems with this, uh, this end time move of God, you and I are called to do God's will. But if we slip into some heart problems, we're going to end up doing whose will? The devil's will. Can a born-again, spirit-filled, word-of-faith Christian end up doing the devil's will? Absolutely, according to Scripture. Because Paul's not talking to a heathen here. He's talking to a son of the faith. He's talking about people of God here, people who have called upon the Lord, who have that same precious hope. So it's entirely possible to have all these good, wonderful things happen to you and yet be neutralized or contaminated by a thing like strife. And don't get hung up there because you may not be in strife, but you may have something in your life that's just as deadly right now. Does that make sense? So uh, those who cleanse themselves are vessels unto honor. You now are qualified to be a carrier of that anointing. But being a carrier of that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power is not God's choice. Amen? Whose choice is it? Say it with me. I am a vessel under honor by choice. Now, I don't think God's going to dump everything on you that you might be doing wrong. That'd be kind of unfun. Amen? Overwhelming. But how many know if you pray that prayer, get ready? Let me try that again. You know. If you pray that prayer, get ready. Because he's going to point things out to you. But it's not about your destruction or being negative to you. It's about you wanting to be a vessel unto honor. And the fact that he possesses all knowledge. Amen. We can con ourselves. We can con people in the family. We can con people in the church. But there's no con in the Holy Ghost. He, he has all knowledge. Remember that. He's not what 70% of those who self-identify with Christianity in this country are born again say he is just an impersonal force out there for good. He's a person, and he has all knowledge. Why? Because he's God. 
Do you realize that right now? That that what's on the inside of you right now, because this is not God's fault. This is not God's doing it. If there's a holdup in America, it's not God. Do you realize that what is on the inside of you is the person of the Holy Spirit? And he is all-powerful. He has all knowledge. How can he do miracles in America at the same time raise the dead in Africa? Because he's what? He's everywhere present. And particularly in and through his people. It's just that there's not that flow if the vessel itself is not prepared. Amen. has nothing to do with the will of God. I just wish God would will to touch this nation. has nothing to do with God's will to touch this nation. Amen. Glory to God. You know, he'll, uh, he'll back up anything we decide as the people of God. Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loose. And what we need to do is loose ourselves. Loose ourselves from every contaminant. Amen. Glory to God. Write this down. I've said this before in the context of glorification, but sin is a glory repellent. Sin is a glory repellent. And by the glory, we mean the manifest presence and power and goodness of God. Could we all not use more of that? More of his presence, more of his power, more of his goodness. Say it, more of his presence, more of his power, more of his goodness. But sin is a glory repellent. First and foremost, from your own life, but by extension to the body of Christ and to the greater work that he has for you and for me. And... Um, when the glory does show up and sin is present, like in 2 Samuel 6, 6, when the man reached out his hand to stabilize the cart where the ark never should have been, it didn't take God saying to himself, now that's just rude and disrespectful. I think I'll strike that man dead. The power was already there. Imagine getting a hold of a, one of these lines that go come out of TVA and go across country to, to feed a, a community, and that line is down across the field, and you're out there on a four-wheeler or whatever, or a motorbike, and you pick the thing up. Guess what? Goodbye. It would not have been that TVA decided to fry your hind end that day. There's somebody out there playing in the field now, kill him. No. What they do? They picked up a power line, and the rest is history. And they weren't prepared. They weren't insulated. You see this? They weren't prepared to handle that kind of power because of the condition that they were in. Same thing happened in the early church. So we've gotten the idea that this kind of thing only happened under the Old Covenant. But in Acts, the Bible tells us that they saw what kind of praise Barnabas got for selling a field and turned the money of the, of the land sale over to the apostles for the distribution to the saints for the work of God. And I guess they had, um, you know, you could call it this. We can look back in time and kind of put some kind of names to it, but maybe it was some arrogance, maybe some pride. They wanted to be praised too as benevolent benefactors, except this was their gimmick. We'll sell it and keep back some of the profits for ourselves, but it will look like the people that we did the same thing that Barnabas did. Now watch this, they're not murderers, they're not running around thieving, stabbing, killing people. Can I have an amen? What do they do? There was a contaminant in the well. And I can tell you this, that when, when the tipping point happens and the apex of the flow of God's power happens in the house of God, you don't want to be messing around at that point. Can I have a better amen than that? 
And so he comes in, and he's confronted by the apostle, and what happens to him? He dies. Now, in traditional Christianity in the West, what do you do when somebody dies? You have a visitation, and you have a meal, and a service. You know what they did? They just carried them out and just kept on with the service. Can you see how different the early church mentality is compared to our mentality? Even though Jesus said, well, let the dead bear them. They didn't even stop. In fact, here comes the partner, right? Confirming that is exactly what they agreed to do. What happened to her? She died and they carry out and then just carry on with the service. That was a two for a day, a two for one day. But why would something like that happen? The scripture indicates and acts that people were basically afraid to join them because they sensed this. This is not something to be trifled with. This is not something to be messed with. And the Bible says even that, though, they still continue to join themselves to the church because they realized that there was a life they didn't want to miss out on, but they had deep respect for it. In America right now, there's deep contempt for the church. That's going to change Amen. But I'm not talking about the Mamby Pamby placebo church. I'm not talking about dumb everything down, throw the word of God out, justify what people are doing, say that all roads lead to heaven and doesn't make a difference how you live. It matters how you live. And the church that will embrace that, the people that will embrace that, and they're out there, they're going to see that level of, of glory manifest. So right now it's a matter of getting to the place where we collectively are walking that out. So how many would say, you'll let the Lord deal with you? I ain't got nothing wrong with me. Well, be careful, Ananias. That pride didn't work in the New Testament time. It's not going to work now. The attitude you should have is, search me. Because I can tell you one thing about Christians, human beings, Christians, they are blind sometimes to their own inadequacies and own weaknesses and own sins. And does us no good to try to point it out to each other. Amen. It's up to the Lord to show them that. And we can preach the word because revelation comes. So I'm going to be talking generically tonight about holiness. And right now the Spirit of God can drop something in your heart that he's been talking to you about for years or maybe you've even forgotten. It wouldn't be me doing it. I'm just talking about the concept. I'm just talking about the preparation. I'm just talking about where we need to get to. And he's the one that's talking to you. He's the one that convicts us. He's the one that talks to us. Amen. Something came out of my spirit Sunday morning. I just want to say it again. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But there is correction. Don't confuse the two. Being corrected doesn't mean you're being condemned. According to what he said in Hebrews, correction means he loves you. You're not condemned. You're loved. If he's not talking to you, you should be concerned about that. Amen. Parents correct their kids. Why? Because they want to see them live a long life. (laughs) They want to see him successful. They want to see them doing something great for God. So, sins of glory repellent. Ananias and Sapphira didn't make it. They didn't even stop the service to have a meal or a visitation or nothing. How do you understand when that word got out? Hmm. Go over to Proverbs 4 and remind yourself of this simple principle. Good to be a believer. 
It's good to be a Bible person, isn't it, church? Chapter 4, verse 18, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Things should be getting brighter and brighter for you every day, not darker and darker. If they're getting darker and darker for you, you're on the wrong team. Amen? My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your hearts for their life. What? To those who find them in health to man's whole body. Aren't you glad that the word is still working health and life in people? Every day. Maybe every day you take your vitamins. Every day you should be taking your gospel pills. Amen. Taking the word of God and believing for restoration and the sustaining of life for you. But above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Who's supposed to guard your heart? You guard your heart for anything that may be contaminating that heart. And every day, I mean, it's nonstop coming at you. Every voice, everything out there is doing the same thing, trying to worm its way into your life, into your thinking, into your heart. You have to do it. You have to garrison your mind. You have to focus on the things of God. You've got to keep things going in that when something comes in that's not true, you immediately identify that thing and you reject that thing because the stakes are high here, but no one's going to guard your heart for you. Isn't that why we have a pastor? No, you have a pastor to preach the word from Proverbs 4 to tell you to guard your heart. That's not my job to guard your heart. My job is to tell you to guard your heart and show you the practical implications of, of doing so. So, I mean, we're preparing ourselves and we found out from revelation and from empowerment and from connection and availability, we're the well. Um, but how many understand the devil just doesn't sit back and say, well, I've lost, I'll just let them do whatever they're going to do. He'll try to pollute that thing. He'll take every opportunity to pollute your thinking and pollute you in your realm of feelings and pollute you in terms of your meditation, pollute you in your words, pollute you in the things you go and the people you hang around. Yes, some people in the body of Christ are defeated simply because they choose to hang around somebody who's not walking the same path as them. And you will never make somebody go up. 99% of the time, they will pull you down. I have watched this through the years. There's somebody on fire, born again, spirit-filled, word of faith, marries somebody who does not believe these things, will not walk in these things. You know what happens 99% of the time? Is the one that is less developed will pull the other one down to their level. They will choose a spirituality. They will choose church. They will choose spiritual environment, all based on the lowest common denominator. That's why it's so important for you to be what? Equally yoked. When you get married, they're born again. Great. But are they on fire for God? Are they, are they spirit-filled? Yes. Are they tongue-talkers? Yes. Are they word-of-faith people? Yes. They believe in the supernatural. Do they believe in these things? Are they walking this out? Because if not, I promise you, LCD will move in. You say, well, what'll happen? Will they go to hell? No, they're going to go to heaven. But they're going to go to heaven with a limp. 
And their kids aren't going to walk in these things. I tell you what, right now, our kids and grandkids need to know how to flow in the supernatural, how to know how to walk in Psalm 91, know how to flow in the things of God that are supernatural and pertain to righteousness. And a lot of decisions that are made on the LCD, their kids and grandkids are going to be the ones that suffer the consequences for it. Amen. Had somebody tell me, you know, not too long ago, well, this is where the kids and grandkids want to go to church. Since when are they the leaders of your family? You're the patriarch of that family. You ought to be leading, guiding, and directing. Come on, I am preaching better than you're staring at me right now. You are supposed to be one in charge. Well, my grandkids want to go, what are you thinking? You should be leading the way in the spirituality, not bowing to the LCD. Especially what's coming at this nation right now. I'm sorry, but little felt boards, you know, little, little, little lessons and little 15 minute sermonettes, you know, and don't ask or don't tell, you know, don't sign, don't give, don't do anything. That is not going to produce the kind of child of God that's going to be victorious in the day we're living in. Amen. So let's just go ahead and make up our minds that we're the matriarchs. We're the patriarchs. Amen. We're going to be the influencers. We're not going to bow to LCD. Amen. We're going to put pressure on it. We're going to bring people up, not let them pull us down. Amen. And one of the ways we do that is walking circumspectly before the Lord. Uh, we've got a problem out there. We've got churches that are selling out completely to this world and its morality. And here we are preaching a message about fine-tuning. Not trying to go back and teach things that we ought to know by now. Amen. Are you here today? But the fine-tuning to be a vessel unto honor so that God can do great things in you and through you. Come on, say, we're the patriarchs. We're the matriarchs. We should be doing the influencing. But you'd be amazed. Well, I just want to worship as a family. Oh, that's a great reason for causing destruction in your family because you just want to worship on the same seat as your family. Bless your little darling heart. Say, Pastor, why don't you just call it like it is? I will. Thank you very much. Because we don't have a lot of time to mess around anymore. And, uh, and, and God's doing something. We're at a tipping point, and you're going to see things you've never seen before. You're going to hear things you've never heard before. And you're going to thank God you didn't give up. I said you're going to thank God you didn't give up. And another thing, get over this. You know, I'm too old to do anything for God, and my best days have passed me by, you know, and I'm just kind of hanging on by a thread, you know, and one day I'll just hopefully go home to be with the Lord soon. You need to knock that stuff out. Amen. These are choice days in front of you. I said these are choice days in front of you. These are golden days in front of you. It may not feel like it right now, but these are your best days in front of you where God's able to do things you've never seen before. So be careful agreeing with the devil about your life. The long life will satisfy you and then show you his salvation. You've got all eternity to be in eternity. It's a long time. You have a short time in this temporal window to be a part of the redemptive mission. Once the thing is wrapped up, it's wrapped up. There's no more saving. There's no more healing. There's no more delivering. It's gone. It's done. Amen. How we dare put ourselves on a shelf until Jesus comes or until we die. That's the wrong mentality. Amen. Because of the shortage, you know, around the country right now with shipping and trucking, you know, 
I saw a picture of an empty shelf on Facebook, and it said, well, since we can't have a shelf on an elf as a picture of Biden, we got a quack on a rack. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, look at somebody say, don't be a quack. Well, I'll tell you what's worse than a quack on a rack or an elf on a shelf is a Christian on a shelf. On the verge of the greatest days in the history of the body of Christ, <laughs> just waiting for Jesus to come, just waiting to give up the ghost. Just a few more weary days and then we'll fly away. No. Why don't you just go ahead and stay a while? Amen? Finish up your days and do what God's called you to do. Yes, amen. Say it sends the glory repellent. Well, you know, most of you uh, probably have, uh, you know, city water, and, and those of us in the county have well water. The city actually services the church here in terms of natural gas and also with water, but we live in a place where there's well water. And, uh, you know, people will tell you that there are all kinds of things that can get into that well, all kinds of contaminants that can get into that well. So they recommend every once in a while you test, but... Where we live, too, we have such a high water table because of the Kentucky Lake system. It's being so close to it that it's, it's very rare for stuff like that to happen. Thank God for that. We're never going to see a water table that's gone. But in a lot of places around the world, they'll find heavy metals in the well. They'll find you know, E. coli and other organic materials. They'll find even radioactive materials in a well. Uh, and how do you understand these things are not good for you? Now, my question is, what might be getting into your natural well? That's great, but more importantly, your spiritual well. Is there bacteria? Is there heavy metal? Is there something that is organic? Is there something radioactive spiritually that has gotten in there? You have to make up your mind to, to guard that heart, to guard that well. Our job is to test and maintain our wells for things that contaminate and hinder the life-giving nature of that well. Because... Without that holiness, we're not going to see the flow like we want to see. Amen. I don't know what that is, but I tell you what, uh, if, if life can be, natural life can be taken out by what's in a well and it can be shortened, um, in my hometown, um, out there in the refuge in, in, the, uh, in the 40s, it, it actually was a massive uh, structure in the wilderness, um, a bomb-making operation. I mean, up to 5,000-pound bombs were made right there in Marion, Illinois. At one time, just, and you know, Marion's a tiny city. It's about the same size as Murray, maybe a little smaller. Uh, at one time, there were 40,000 people working in that refuge for the bomb effort. The thinking was that, that you know, Germans or Japanese are going to want to drive their planes, fly their planes all the way into the heartland. They'll never survive that. Um, and that's, that's what they did. And they put them on rail, they put them on barge, and that was the war effort. I mean, people built those bombs, and, uh, and they used to drop them on Germany. Every night they increased the number of, of English and, uh, and American-made bombs to break the will of the German people. Uh, right there. Those buildings, uh, eventually many of them, became part of the uh, well, now defunct Sangamo Electric Company. And in the processing of the transformers, they had PCBs by, you know, uh, polychlorinated biphenyls is, is actually the name for it, dioxins, and, and polluted the ground. Uh, to such extent, they had to get part of the super fund from the government to clean that up and come and burn that dirt and get all that stuff out of there. But one of the things we've noticed, and we don't know if it's from that or if it's from the, you know, hyperchlorination of the water, but a disproportionate number of people in Marion and south of Marion have been dying young from cancer. Look at somebody and say there's something in the water. 
Um, I don't know what's, what's been done to investigate that, but you know, a lot of good people didn't live out their days, and there's just too much of a coincidence there to ignore. And they, even this day, they'll tell you, be careful eating fish on the backside of where that, that uh, plant operation actually was because of the, the danger of still, uh, you know, that stuff being in the water and being in the, in the soft soil and, and still eking out, you know, but uh, it's, it's killing people and causing them to die young. Now, just how subtle is that? You're just minding your business, just drinking a little water, you know, year after year, and it ends up cutting, you know, 15, 20, 30 years off of your life if you suffer a very horrendous death of, of pain and misery and suffering. Well, um, I don't know what might be eking into your well. All I do know is that you and I are called to be what? The guardians of our hearts. Nobody will do it for you. Amen. Now, if we manifest something, somebody may say that loves us, you know, hey, you know, I'm not going to deal with that kind of thing, you know. But at the end of the day, you and I are called to, and responsible to guard our what? Our hearts, rather than flow of the issues of life. Glory to God. Well, what does it mean to contaminate? It means to take something impure and add it as a poison or polluting substance into some kind of container, into some kind of situation. It's polluting and it's poisonous. Say it with me. It's poisonous and polluting. Well, what does decontaminate mean? It means to neutralize or remove the dangerous substance, whether it's radioactive or germ or organic, whatever it is, to neutralize. Look at somebody and tell them, neutralize every contaminant in your life. 1 John 2.16 tells us, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from what? From the world. So you can write some of these things down. This is an exhaustive list, but I'll just give you a few to be chewing on. There are some well-known contaminants of the well. Then we're going to back up and look at this thing in, in a general sense. Things like pride. A lot of people would say, oh, I'm not prideful. You just admitted that you were. Uh, better just to say, yeah, you know, that's operating in my life. Things like unforgiveness. And it's kissing cousins. Things like bitterness. <laughs> I mean, if uh, somebody's name comes up to you or you think about that person or whatever somebody did or said and it does not produce, you know, Warm fuzzies. Might be an issue there. Um, and you live long enough on this earth and somebody's going to do something stupid that's going to hurt you. Now the only decision is what are you going to do with it? Are you going to let it contaminate you? On the eve of the greatest move of God this, this earth has ever known, are you going to be disqualified because of what somebody did or said? Things like uh, unforgiveness, things like doubt is a contaminant. There is an antidote for a thing called doubt, and that's more time in the Word. Faith comes by what? Hearing. But you'd be amazed. People live, live that way. That's how they live their lives. They, they doubt everything. They question everything. There's no confidence in anything because they don't spend enough time getting their mind renewed. Things like fear. A fear will poison everything. Uh, it's real subtle, and uh, the problem is there are, there are many manifestations of fear, but at the end, end of the day, the master fear is the fear of death. And everything that springs out of that fear, you know, it, it tends to, to poison with, with other incarnations of that. You know, for example, you're not really afraid of the water. What are you afraid of? 
You're afraid of what? Drowning in the water. You're not afraid of airplanes. You're afraid of what? Airplanes crashing. You're not afraid of snakes. They're just snakes. What are you afraid of? You're afraid that you're going to get bit and it's going to be poisonous and it's going to kill you. See, it's the master fear driving all of that stuff. But the Bible is very, very plain about this. If you and I have been born again, guess what? Death has been defeated. Does that make sense? You can drive out fear with his perfect what? With his love. Yes, amen. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, uh, ungodly meditation, wrong motives. What's well, subtle, isn't it? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we saying what we're saying? Uh, is it for God's glory? Hmm? Will wrong motives affect the flow of God's power in and through your life? Yes. Absolutely it will. Things like discouragement. No, wait a minute, Pastor. Discouragement is, is not a contaminant or a sin. It's just a feeling. Well, you're going to find out tonight that you can sin in every realm of your existence, including with your emotions. In fact, this is a little darling in the modern church. We've kind of protected and say, well, whatever is going on in the things of God, that this doesn't count over here. We'll deal with other areas of life. We'll deal with the body, maybe the mind, even the will. But there's no such thing as the emotional sin. And I'm here to tell you, that's flat wrong. And probably if I had to finger something in the modern body of Christ or to line people up, I would say that the biggest sin going on in the modern body of Christ is some sin of the emotions. Moving right along. God told Joshua, do not be discouraged. And did he repeat himself? Why would he, why would he repeat himself? You know, if God repeats himself, it ought to just take one time. After all, he's God. God talking to Joshua, your, your servant, you know, my servant and your mentor. He's gone. Do not what? Be discouraged. So then if I walk around discouraged, I am directly disobeying a command of God. Amen. And to be discouraged is a loss of spiritual courage. It goes back, it ties back to faith. But what we do is we excuse that. I'm having a bad day or something happened. There was a setback or so-and-so doesn't like me or somebody got fired or somebody got set aside or this was a failure, whatever the case may be. And you're discouraged. People will even go around talking about, I'm, I'm just so discouraged. You know what you're saying? What you're saying is you're captive to an emotional sin. I feel the air leaving the room right now. But. No, we would rather treat this as a special case. I'm just a discouraged Christian. No, you're a Christian who is sinning emotionally. We cannot get you to that place where that tipping point is until we start calling things what they are. We're very good at labeling sins of the body and even sins of the mind, even sins of outright rebellion to God. That's right. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. He didn't do it. That was a sin of the will. Thy will be done. God told Jesus he was going to the cross and he said, Lord, if you can remove this cup from me, yeah, then do so. Nonetheless, not my will be done, but what? Thy will be done. I'm so discouraged. Oh, you little poor little thing there. I'll pray for you. Try this on. If somebody came to you and said, I don't know what my problem is. You know, I don't know why I'm so defeated. 
You know, I, I, I stepped three times out of my marriage last month, but I just can't put my finger on it. What would you say to that person? Let me help you put your finger on it. The problem is you're an adulterer. You need to repent. But when somebody comes to us and says, uh, I'm discouraged, we don't have that revelation. Write this down. Discouragement demands and requires your cooperation. You cannot be discouraged without agreeing with it. And God knew that it was not going to be Joshua suddenly veering off the word of God. Joshua was, was not going to denounce the things of God. There are certain things that Joshua was not going to do, but apparently, because of all the transition and all the challenges he would face, discouragement was a possibility, and the father sent across his bow a preemptive strike against the sin of discouragement. Wow. Say so the sin. The sin. The what? The sin. The sin. Don't talk about my pet sin. Now, it's different when you call something a sin versus when you call it a problem, an issue, mendacity, a failure, amen, an emotional state, amen. How fun is this going to be? <laughs> Say it, the sin. The sin of what? Discouragement. Because what? Because you have to cooperate with it to be discouraged. No, 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 Pastor. I'm discouraged because of everything that has happened or has not happened in my life, where I am right now. That's why I'm discouraged. No. You can have all these things happen to you or things not happen to you, and you can still walk around with courage in your heart. Discouragement is just an example, just kind of wet your whistle, because I know you're just eating this up tonight. <laughs> As an example of a special case of something in our lives that doesn't belong there, that's hindering the Lord, that is an issue of sanctification, that's right. Discouragement is an issue of sanctification. But we have given it a special don't touch that place. And God is saying to us, listen, let's not give any sin a special place because watch this, the wages of sin is still death. So if you set this over here and say, this is not a sin, this is just a, a temporary emotional state that I happen to be in, uh, I am now discouraged. What you have done is you have given, you know, refuge to a sin. And it will still produce what? Death in your life, death in your thinking, death in whatever you're, you're trying to do. It's not going to produce life. And we're supposed to be wells of what? What are we? We're wells of life, not wells of death. So how can we give sanctuary to a pet sin? Amen? You never say to somebody with a drug habit, that's okay, God doesn't care about that, that's just your personal problem. What's going to happen? It's going to kill them. You can't give sanctuary to that addiction. You can't give sanctuary to some sexual sin. You can't give sanctuary to somebody who runs around lying all the time. You can't ignore that because the force on that sin is what? It will always bring death. And here we are preparing to be wells of life, and yet we've given sanctuary to what? Some, some death-producing sin, like discouragement. Doesn't have to be discouragement. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Things like sorrow. There's a time to grieve. And there's a time to get up. Mm -hmm. And if the Bible says we do not grieve like those who have no hope, but yet we turn around and grieve like those who have no hope, we have just given sanctuary to the sin of sorrow. What's going to happen? Death. Forget about power and life coming out of us. We've decided that we're going to give sanctuary to this particular thing. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you know what? Nobody really knows what anybody's going through. That's why we don't go to what we are going through as the, as the Lord of our lives or what we feel as the Lord of our lives. We go to him and we go to his book for truth. And the truth of the word of God says what? We do not sorrow like them that have no hope. Yes, there is a sorrow. There is a grief. But you know what? If you're still there month after month, year after year, year after year, you gave special refuge to that thing. And it's not anymore just something you're going through. It's a sin. How's that for being a great grief counselor? Come to Pastor Art and help you out with the grief counseling. What did he say? What did he say? He said, my sorrow is a sin. You're not going to hear that in most psychology books. You're going to have people agree with you. And if you're not careful, you're talking to the wrong people. They will keep you in that sorrow the rest of your life. When God still has a plan and purpose for your life. Amen. You have got to see how important your life is. How unique and how special it is to be on this planet right now at this time. How other people need you to be strong in the Lord. They need you to live out your days. They need to see you not bowing to adversity, but standing up to adversity. Going through things and overcoming those things. Having sickness and disease and setbacks and poverty and being fired and failure and being talked about, being run on the ground, and yet you come out on top. People need to see that so they can follow that. Not us giving special refuge to our little pet sons. Listen to what the Holy Ghost is saying. He is telling us as a body not to have refuge for certain sins. It's going to be different for different people. Amen. We sorrow not. How about this one? A heart murmur. Not a physical heart murmur, but a heart that murmurs. Is that old murmuring, belly aching, complaining, negative? Amen. It's the Israelis in the wilderness disease. And of course, you talk about things like lust. You talk about things like greed. Just a broad, broad spectrum of them. So when we come back next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the contamination of the well in each dimension. There are sins of the body, say the body. There are sins of the mind, say the mind. There are sins of the emotions, say the emotions. And there are sins of the will. And the little darling on this list, one, because it's, we lack revelation that this really is the final frontier. You can be born again, spirit-filled, on fire for God, and yet not be right in your emotions and be just as defeated as someone who has none of that revelation. 
Sins of the body, sins of the mind, sins of the emotions, sins of the will. We know what that is. God says, do this, and we rebel against that. And we know what sins of the body are. Everybody lives in the body in a physical state. We understand that. Even sins of the mind, let your mind go where you should not go. Thinking illicitly or thinking in terms of the destruction and the harm of other people, whatever the case may be, premeditating things that are evil, whatever the case may be. But the little darling on this list is sins of the emotions. Tonight you could be literally hit in the face with even that revelation that there is such a thing as an emotional sin. Amen. But I don't have it. I'm not, I'm not doing anything illicit with my body. My mind is pure. And I, I do whatever I can to submit to God's will. And yet you are completely undone emotionally. All that's not going to matter. All your revelation's not going to matter. We started this several years ago with, with talking about people like Uzziah who had everything going for him. Amen? And then he began to think he was all that. Enter the contaminant of pride. I want to be not just king, but I understand the heritage here. I also want to be prophet. And priest. So here I am inside in pride. I am offering incense, which is not legal for him to do because he does not have the office of priest. And the high priest who does have that right and authority with other courageous priests, the Bible says, confronted him. And what happened to him? He raged right there. Now, what did I say about the glory? And sin in the presence of glory? Boom. Lost everything. Became leprous, lost his, his legacy, his palace, his kingdom. Everything. Amen. What kind of sin took him out? Wasn't a physical sin. Talking about a combination, right, of different things. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, what took him over the top. We already know about the pride. That didn't do it. He didn't get leprosy just from the pride. When did he get the leprosy? After he expressed a sinful emotion. Don't get me wrong, not every emotion is sinful. Just like not every thought is sinful. Amen? I just picked up my Bible with my body. That was not sinful. Amen? Not everything you do with your will is sinful. Not everything you do with your emotions is sinful. But that is completely counter to what we've been taught and what we've lived as the body of Christ, where nothing in the emotions is sinful. It's not biblical. And I can tell you this. I don't think the devil wants us to uncover that. You know, sometimes when someone put a bandage on your, uh, on your body without old-fashioned tape, yes. you know, and it was just better to what? <laughs> just rip it off. Get it over what? <laughs> just pull that sucker off right now. Yeah. I can't tell you that there's, there's, there's something lurking in there in the emotional realm, but the Holy Spirit can instantly. So we're going to talk about that in, uh, in detail. So it will be sins of the body, sins of the mind, sins of the emotions, sins of the will. Contaminants. What we want to do is decontaminate the well. Amen. Let's close your eyes and just pray that Heavenly Father reveal to me the presence of anything that's contaminating my well. I ask you to search me 
in the physical realm, in the mental realm, in the realm of the emotions, in the realm of the will, every dimension of my life. Reveal things to me. Show things to me. Show me if there is sin in any of these areas. In Jesus' name, I am no longer giving refuge to any sin in my life. It has to go. It always produces death. I can't be a well of life with death operating in me. So I repent in advance. I welcome your correction. I welcome your instruction. I welcome your revelation. Lord, show me what no person can. Show me what I'm really like. Show me what I really need to work on. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Come on, say, correction is good. It's not condemnation, but it is correction. And it's good in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Uh, next time somebody blows up you emotionally, don't point your finger at them and go, emotional sin, emotional sin, emotional sin. No, you're not the judge. Amen? You're going to see some sin of a different kind if you keep doing stuff like that. <laughs> you might see some physical sin. <laughs> Something whizzing by your head or whatever. Uh, don't uh, don't uh, yield to the temptation to be the Holy Ghost to somebody else. The job is taken. Amen? And he does a really good job at it, doesn't he? Praise the Lord. Let's give him a hand clap and let's thank him for it.